We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. From your favorite source for Chicago White Sox talk, delivering news, interviews, analysis, and more. This is the Sox Machine Podcast with your hosts, Jim Margulis and Josh Nelson. Thanks, Rob, and welcome to the Sox Machine Podcast. I'm your host, Josh Nelson, and it's the week of August 23rd, 2021. It wasn't a great weekend for the Chicago White Sox and St. Petersburg, Florida, after winning a thrilling Friday night game. The White Sox played flat, uninspiring baseball Saturday and Sunday, losing the series against the Tampa Bay Rays. The White Sox are 72 and 53. They have a nine and a half game lead in the American League Central as Cleveland swept Los Angeles Angels this weekend. And the White Sox are currently the number three seed in the American League postseason race behind Houston, who's the number two seed. And of course, Tampa Bay still has the best record in the American League. We'll recap the Tampa series, talk about the early performances from the White Sox midseason additions, and preview another big series as the White Sox head to Toronto for the first time since 2019. At the end of the show, we'll answer your questions in P.O. Sox. Joining me is the managing editor of SoxMachine.com and the co-host of the podcast, it's Jim Margulis. And hello, Jim. Friday night was fun. Mm-hmm. But since the All-Star break, this White Sox team, win-loss-wise, is stuck in neutral. Yeah, the Rays series reminded me of a more extreme or maybe a slightly worse version of the Yankee series. Big opener, uh, exciting, more exciting than it needed to be, perhaps. But ultimately, uh, the failure by the bullpen set up some excitement at the end. Uh, I, I guess some, some Tim Anderson inspired excitement, which I guess is always a preferred form of excitement. Uh, so that was fine. Um, you know, the worth the roller coaster, but then the, you know, last two games of the series, uh, you know, bad luck in the second game, kind of with Dallas Keuchel getting done in by batting average on balls in play c- combined with some mistakes that he made as well. Uh, just his margin for error being as small as it is backfiring on him. And then, uh, like I wrote in the recap of Sunday's game, you know, that nine, nothing is the score of a forfeit. And <laughs> that game kind of felt like one. Yeah. I wouldn't blame Larusa when the game got into the ninth inning. If he just threw the white towel onto yeah. the field and be like, just come off the field guys. We're done. 
the game's over. We're done. Let's get to the airport early and make our way to Toronto. There's there's no need to risk any injury in an inning that the White Sox have no shot of coming back and tying the game. I, I would have not blamed Larusa. Of course, that would have not gone over well with White Sox Nation or as far as anyone in media covering baseball, or I'm sure, yeah, Rob Vanfred would have not appreciated a team to forfeit in the ninth inning. Think of the gambling. <laughs> yeah, because you know what? The over-under was nine runs. <laughs> so, <laughs> so being a push, everybody gets their money back. Vegas would have not been happy if the White Sox would have quit in the ninth inning. Cause it's like, they would have been like, they could have scored another run and, and, and yeah, depending on how bets went, blah, 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 whatever. But we did get this question from Rodney, uh, one of our Patreon supporters. So Rodney, as always, thank you so much for your support. And I've got a sense of feeling for those that comment on SoxMachine.com and social media channels White Sox fans are feeling like Rodney is. And Rodney wrote to us, I'm a bit frustrated by just a crappy White Sox weekend. When do you guys think the, quote, cross another day off the calendar slash white flag games, end quote, end? To me, it feels like they're just trying to endure this stretch of, you know, four consecutive series against high quality teams. Uh, either postseason bound teams or uh, postseason contenders with the how how strong the AL East is like the Blue Jays. You know, if they were in the Central, they would be probably, if not neck and neck with the White Sox, pretty close. Uh, so it uh, just happens to be they're in the wrong division. Uh, you know, trying to stay out of fourth place basically in the AL East. But you know, with uh, Rodon coming back, with uh, I guess some guys banged up and and you know waiting for Grandal to come back, it seems like that's kind of what I'm looking at. The the, uh, the boost uh, for the White Sox, like when Grandal comes back, when Rodon comes back, that's kind of where the excuses end. I mean, you give them a couple of games to knock the rust off and, and, and get back up to game speed and, um, you know, integrate them to everyday play. That's fine, you know, because I imagine, you know, just with the way knee injuries are for catchers, you know, Grandal's not going to come out catching six games in a row. But you know what I mean? Like, same thing with Luis Robert, Adam Engel coming off injuries, just... Give them, you know, four to five days to get back into a, a full series worth of games. And that's when I think you should start feeling like the White Sox are as good as they are on paper, as good as the record says they are. So that's kind of what I'm thinking right now. But I think when you have a series like this, especially the game on Sunday, coming after the game on Saturday, the White Sox really haven't had two, you know, to use Tony LaRusse's words, stinkers like that in a row. Like even the Yankees games, the two losses there were competitive. Uh, you haven't seen a, yeah, the White Sox haven't played many non-competitive games. Like I'm looking at their losses in August and there was that nine to one loss to Kansas city on August 4th. All their other losses has, have been one or two, uh, loss or one or two run losses. So I think that's kind of where you have a game where you lose by four and didn't bring the tying run to the plate late. And then you have a game where you're blown out basically after the, uh, well, maybe not third inning, but like the sixth inning on. So I think that's probably, you know, hopefully there's some professional pride kicking that says like, okay, we can't coast that much. You can't, even if Tim Anderson has to take a couple games off, he can't uh, back off that much. But yeah, I would say that this Blue Jays series coming up is, if not important, like by the Cubs series, that's I think where tides need to change. Speaking of Tim Anderson and getting a couple days off, because again, he came back and he was the hero 
and that he doesn't play Saturday or Sunday because LaRusa says Anderson's legs are sore. I figured it would be his back with him carrying the White Sox late Friday night. Uh, do we agree with how LaRusa is giving certain players extra rest? Because I can understand giving Tim Anderson a day off here and there, especially on the artificial surface. And if that's the reasoning with this upcoming series against Toronto, I'm expecting Yohan Mikata to get a game off or two in this four game series. Uh, Cause he's no stranger to leg injuries himself. Uh, same thing with Luis Robert, maybe Aloy Jimenez or Aloy is more of a DH this upcoming series instead of left field. Do you agree with the methodology of how LaRusa is giving out days off? Well, I, I didn't agree with the second day Anderson got off after the, uh, the the second game of the Rays series on Saturday. When he got that day off, which was two out of the last three, I thought that's odd. You know, that seems really conservative. But then he also got Sunday off, and LaRusa actually said his legs are sore. So that's kind of the situation where, you know, at this point in the season, uh, maybe not so much with turf-specific arguments, but maybe just uh, conditions they brought into series on turf that they want to manage. Um, yeah, maybe that's something that, you know, LaRusa doesn't want to talk too much about, you know, deliver specifics on players who ultimately, you know, are playing with an expected level of discomfort. You know, maybe you know, not enough to really report, uh, nothing out of the ordinary, but just he figures it's a good time to give players off. But it does seem like, you know, having Anderson out of lineup two games in a row and just seeing what the White Sox seem to lose energy-wise um, is slightly concerning. I think that's really my... Uh, I don't necessarily have a problem with Larusa giving guys off, but it does seem like uh, removing Anderson from the equation shouldn't have the whole Jenga tower collapse. That's, <laughs> I think, uh, uh, kind of what I'm wrestling with and, and trying to figure out, like, well, you know, he's, he's good and he, you know, he adds a certain dimension to the offense that I think teams, you don't see often. I wrote about that uh, Sunday morning on Sox Machine talking about how Anderson, like even when he's kind of slumping with an OPP below uh, 300, uh, the last, uh, or basically since the All-Star break, his OBP is 298. Uh, it doesn't feel like that. Like, cause just because like so much of it, you know, basically his entire OBP is batting average, which is fine. Like 288, something like that, like around 290. And he's hitting, you know, so many extra base hits and, and stealing so many, you know, stealing bases and, and taking extra bases on the base paths to where it doesn't feel like he, he's really maxing out that 298. So I understand like that the offense might lose something by not having him at the top of the order, but it shouldn't lose that much when you do have, you know, quality guys to fill in. Like, you know, maybe uh, Cesar Hernandez isn't Tim Anderson, but he can, he should be able to like fill in for a game here or there. Luis Roberts, same thing, having him there. Uh, Brian Goodwin having him up top, you know, just like there should be guys who can fill in and, you know, get on base once or twice. They should have been more competitive on Saturday yes. and Sunday, even with Anderson not on the field. I I do buy that in the sense, you know, Anderson is very good. He is actually leading the White Sox position players in terms of wins above replacement on fan graphs. And it looks like Anderson at his pace is going to be a four plus war player before season's end, maybe a chance to be a five war player, which would be a career high for Tim Anderson. I agree with you, Jim, the white Sox should have not been that flat on Saturday and Sunday. I mean, Anderson's still in the clubhouse. They still put him on camera. He's chatting up with everyone. Uh, 
yeah, the team was just very flat Saturday and Sunday. And I, I guess I'm wondering, and we'll, we'll talk more about the Toronto series later in the show on how Larusa gives out more days off in this upcoming series, because he's been citing the artificial surface and he wants the players to have fresh legs for a deep postseason run. So I, I'm curious to see who's going to be the next set of White Sox players to get days off like Tim Anderson has. Uh, somebody that may need a day off just to take a mental break is Cesar Hernandez. And let's mm-hmm. talk about the White Sox midseason acquisitions and where they are now and how they are performing for the White Sox since being added. And let's start at second base with Hernandez. In 22 games, Jim, with the White Sox, Hernandez is hitting 214 with a 302 on base percentage, slugging 286. He just has two extra base hits. Both of those were the home runs that he hit at Wrigley Field. This is not very impressive offensively. I think defensively, he's been really solid for the White Sox. What's going on here? It feels like, uh, you know, right now it's just, when you look at his game, like his sample size, basically 20 games, he's had 10 good games and 10 bad games. So uh, when you look at that and just kind of judge him by, you know, two small sample sizes, basically, uh, it's it's hard to say definitively. Now, when I look at his like splits, one thing that was unusual coming into the uh, his time in Chicago, like after the trade, what he did with Cleveland was that his Splits were backwards. Like usually he's a little bit better against righties and a little bit worse against lefties. And with Cleveland, his uh, OPSs were flipped to where all of a sudden he was a little bit weaker against righties and strong against lefties. Actually, yeah, he had 820 OPS against lefties, 695 against righties while at Cleveland. Now with the White Sox, that has flipped and, and he's actually been two for 23 against left-handed pitching. And he's uh, you know, he has a 373 OBP against righties. For the White Sox. So perhaps it's a weird form of regression coming in to where uh, things are evening out, but maybe in the playing time that's been allotted for him and with him getting, you know, basically, um, you know, about, I'm looking 30% of his uh, plate appearances against uh, left-handed pitching, and they just happen to be an awful 30% dragging his numbers down. That's right now at this juncture, that's kind of uh, what it seems like is just, unfortunate regression and and he's chasing a little bit more so there might be a little bit of uh pressing right now to get involved with the offense especially like say if he's filling in for tim anderson in the lineup um he seems like he's a little bit jumpy like sometimes he, he's pulled some balls foul he's gotten out ahead like the the point of contact i think might be a bit early uh that's just what i'm seeing right now but given how young his White Sox career is, and given that he was very good until he was very bad, I'm not quite sure where he's going to even out. Yeah, I'm not concerned when it comes to Cesar Hernandez. I know it's not a great first introduction to White Sox fans in this 22 games. It was exciting with how well he played at Wrigley Field against a Chicago Cubs team, which is awful now. And when the teams get better... uh, Hernandez is struggling like on Sunday. It doesn't get much worse than striking out three times and then hitting to a double play with runners on first and third and one out uh, when there's an opportunity to, to drive in a run. But I'm not concerned with Hernandez. He's always been a solid player, and I do think his production will pick up again, maybe at home against the Chicago Cubs, and then two games against the Pirates, and then a series against Kansas City. And I, I think it's more important that Hernandez starts 
climbing up. It starts getting back into rhythm mid to late September. So he's playing with a lot of confidence going to the postseason. Uh, I agree with you, Jim. I think he's just pressing right now to make a great first impression uh, with his new ball club. And I think he's just trying to do too much at the plate. One thing, actually, one thing I want to point out is like, uh, I guess the good news is that um, when it comes to players we liked besides Cesar Hernandez, like Adam Frazier has not done much with San Diego. Yeah, San Diego, I, I just want to chime in real quick on that situation. There is great concern coming out of San Diego. They are 34 and 36 since June 1st, Jim. Yeah. 70 game sample size is pretty large when we're talking about a single season. And for them to be playing below 500 ball since June 1st with that much talent on their team. Now, there's a lot of folks on Twitter saying that, you know, every time San Diego makes a move, we get a bit jealous of them. We should stop being jealous of them uh, because they're not playing that much better baseball. I would say that if San Diego was in the American League Central, their situation would be a lot different <laughs> than it is right now in the National League West and competing for the National League wildcard. But that's a big surprise that... I figured Adam Frazier would still be hitting well for San Diego and they have made all of these trades and free age, free agent signings. And I love all these moves that they're making. If they don't make the postseason, though, I can't imagine Jace Tingler, their managers coming back. And that would have to be one of the most, I guess, attractive managerial positions available for the 2022 season. Who wouldn't want to manage that type of talent on that San Diego Padres team? Because they are stacked. They should be playing a lot better. Yeah, Frazier's, yeah, 241, 283 OBP, 287 slugging. Two doubles, one triple in 23 games. So, How's Eduardo Escobar doing? I think he's actually doing well. Let me look him up real quick. When I... Checked in a few days ago. It looked like with Milwaukee, I've uh, been 291, 341 OBP, 468 slugging. So basically what he was yeah. doing with Arizona plus 41 points of OBP. Well, I don't know what the holdup was between the White Sox and the Diamondbacks. Yep. Maybe Bob was right. It should have been Eduardo Escobar, Jim. But it's okay. I Again, I, I'm not too concerned about Hernandez. I know some White Sox fans are selling stock in Hernandez. I just feel it's more important for him to start relaxing, get back into his game, be comfortable with his approach at the plate, and get back into rhythm. And if he can start building up again and getting really good at bats in September, leading up to the postseason, that's more important than how he's performing right now in the month of August. For the White Sox. Uh, the other players the White Sox have acquired, Ryan Tapera. He had a very rough introduction. I was there in attendance. It was not a good first impression. Uh, mm -hmm. Tapera left with White Sox fans. But since then, he's been good. He's appeared in 11 games, eight and two-thirds innings pitched. He's got a 2.08 ERA, six hits allowed, two earned runs, the one home run, and he struck out 12, walked three. That's good. He's helping the White Sox bullpen. Craig Kimbrell, not as smooth. Nine games, a 5.40 ERA, eight and a third innings pitched, eight hits allowed, five earned runs allowed, two homers, two walks, and it's still a very impressive strikeout of walk rate. He's got 12 strikeouts to those two walks. 
And when it comes to Craig Kimbrell, this goes into something that we haven't had a discussion for a while. Uh, it may be since the debacle and in extra innings in Cincinnati when Liam Hendricks was running the bases. Mm-hmm. Let's do an in-game decision breakdown, Jim. And this goes back to Friday night in the eighth inning when Tony La Russa replaced Craig Kimbrell with Aaron Bummer. The situation was a runner on third, two outs. The White Sox are out four to two. And Brandon Lau is coming up to bat for Tampa Bay. So the question is, was it the right move by Tony La Russa to swap Kimbrell with Bummer? How do you feel about that move? I didn't like it for a couple of reasons. One is that, um, you know, Kimbrell... He came out looking terrible. What first seven pitches out of the zone, and then he battled back into uh, to, to get the second batter. But came out looking really shaky. But ultimately had two outs with a uh, with a run that hadn't scored yet, like a runner on third. Like no damage had actually been done, and it looked like his plate appearances, his his battles against hitters were progressively getting steadier. So I thought the worst was behind him. Uh, and to go to Aaron Bummer, who's looked shakier as of late, he seems like he's a little bit uh, prone to streaks this year. Just uh, he gets on runs where that slider is lethal, and the sinker gets grounders, and he gets the swings and misses when he needs to, and he gets the grounders when he needs to. And then there are other times where the slider is just being pulled wildly, the sinker is getting the you know 50 foot choppers that end up as infield singles, and then like the you know the he compounds bad luck with. Uh, you know, mislocations and it all goes downhill from there. So I think, you know, Kimbrell being as um, seasoned as he is, being that he's, you know, a highly paid closer or, or, or former closer, co-closer, uh, waiting in the wings, whatever you want to call it, um, he probably deserves the the rope to get out of his own mess. I wonder, you know, with, with Kimbrell coming back, uh, looking shaky after missing time off. He went to his grandfather's funeral, so he's unavailable the day before. You know, maybe I'm just wondering if, you know, Larusa had that in mind and just thought like, oh, man, this guy might not be in the best mindset. This is a situation that's not looking great for him. Let's try to bail him out. And that was probably, in my mind, and, and Larusa's reaction afterwards, probably trying to manage the White Sox to victory when he was better off just letting the players decide it. See, I thought LaRusso was too hard on himself because I thought it was a good move. And with the situation with Brandon Lau coming up, Lau has <laughs> huge splits against righties and against lefties. Lau is hitting, he's got a 942 OPS against right-handed pitching. And against lefties, it's a 625 OPS. So I understand bringing Aaron Bummer. And White Sox fans who are probably screaming at me right now would say, well, you know that he's going to pinch it loud for Randy or Rosarena. And in my mind, that's exactly what I want you to do. Please take Brandon Lau out of this game. One of your better hitters. That would help me a lot as far as the last two innings. And a Rosarena this year against left-handed pitching is still very dangerous. He's got a 914 OPS, but it's not as high as Lau, and Lau's got 29 home runs this season. I guess thinking about it and looking over the situation, maybe Larusa could have called for intentionally walking Lau, and the next batter would be Wander Franco, and I don't think Tampa would have pinched hit for Wander Franco, and you would have had Kimbrel against the rookie, 
it, that gets dicey because Franco's the go-ahead run at home plate, and if he hits a homer off Kimbrel, everyone's going to say, well, you should have just pitched to Lau anyways because if he hit a home run, it'd still be tied and not losing by one. So I was okay. I, I, I was good with the decision LaRusa made. It's just that... The result obviously was disastrous because Kimbrell threw 15 pitches. 10 of those 15 were balls. Aaron Bummer comes in and he does exactly what Craig Kimbrell did. Is that the first seven pitches he threw were balls. Uh, and he throws 14 pitches and 10 of them are balls. I, I think that's a whole separate conversation about Aaron Bummer himself. But I did not mind this decision. And... I could see this have this situation happening again in the postseason. Knock on wood, it doesn't. And, K- and Craig Kimbrell is lights out come October. But if he's not, I, I hope Larus is not afraid to hurt a veteran's feelings. If based on his managerial experience, he just gets a sense of it's not this guy's night. I need to go to someone else. Yeah, I, I think with. Uh... Maybe what makes it look worse is the intentional walk to Nelson Cruz afterwards. That was really odd. Is that just the White Sox playbook? Doesn't matter what pitcher is on the mound. If it is a game tying situation, you must walk Nelson Cruz. But Austin Meadows is good and he pushed the go ahead run into scoring position. Right. No, I agree with you. Yeah. It's, so, so, I, I mean, just wonder like, if that's, that's just the, the White Sox playbook. Like it's automatic. Doesn't matter who's pitching. You yeah. must walk Nelson Cruz. But that's why I got the the impression that like just Larusa was trying to, you know, kind of like in the third game of the wild card series last year, where you could just kind of feel Rick Renteria's flop sweat, um, just trying to you know grunt his way through with a whole bunch of pitcher changes. Some of, they made sense on paper. Ultimately, it was player failure that that doomed the White Sox. But it, there was just an element of there was a lack of confidence coming from the decision making and Renteria's like keeled over stance in the dugout that <laughs> just lent an era of uncertainty and, uh, and, and panic to the proceedings. And I think, you know, maybe my thinking is colored by that intentional walk to Cruz that made it feel like, okay, LaRusse is clearly over managing here. Like okay. he's clearly, uh, just, just mashing buttons at this point, trying to get the inning over. Uh, that's, that's maybe what's coloring my thinking is that maybe, you know, should, uh, yeah, if say Bummer came in, well, yeah, the same sequence, walked to Rosa Arena, gave up a infield single to Franco, and then like cruises up, and then he you know has to pitch to Cruz because it's the third batter, and gives up a three-run homer. Then you know maybe it's a case where Bummer blew it, but uh, and you could, but just that intentional walk that you know and going it's not like an intentional walk to cruise that brings the pitcher to the plate or something it brought austin meadows to the plate who's also a very good hitter even if it's lefty lefty i believe um still like he's good you know it's a case where you know he's a professional hitter um and he killed the white Sox this weekend so yeah i don't know if he took that personally but uh it didn't seem like a great relief going to meadows especially with bummer looking as shaky as he was so that's why i think you know maybe Maybe if Bummer gets out of the inning, like I think maybe you'd have a case where, um, you know, it should have should Bummer have gotten the job done and Kimbrel's feelings were hurt, then a case, that's a case where you could say like, well, the results were what the results were. Um, next time, look sharper coming out of the gate, Craig Kimbrel. <laughs> but uh, the way it worked out uh, and, and the way Kimbrel had improved over the course of the game, his his appearance. I still think would have given him one more batter or two more batters, you know, maybe go to Franco uh, and then have a case where like, you know, given that he's struggled against righties this year and that a lot of his improvement in the second half is coming against lefties, 
that's a case where maybe you, you uh, pick your poison uh, between a Rosarena and, and, or sorry, Lau and Franco, and then ultimately you don't end up having to feel compelled to intentionally walk the go-ahead run in scoring position. I think if this same situation happened in the postseason where things were getting dicey with Kimbrell in the eighth inning, I want to believe that LaRusso would just go to Liam Hendricks. If, yeah. if this situation happened again, because I, yeah. speaking of the lefties, right? Cause I had this morning thought on Sunday morning, should Garrett crochet be the first lefty out of the bullpen moving forward between he and Aaron bummer and crochet he pitched really well on Friday, did not pitch that great on Sunday. Uh, and the White Sox have been hesitant to pitch him on back-to-back days, kind of like with Michael Kopech. And I, I guess if this were to happen again in a postseason game in the bottom of the eighth inning, a road game, it's 4-2, to two, runner on third, LaRusse is not feeling confident in Kimbrell, I think he goes to Liam Hendricks to get the final four outs. Yeah, I think that makes sense, especially like say when it comes to turf. I don't think turf does bummer any favors. Uh, just with the you know whether it's the super choppers or the you know grounders, you know just adding more velocity to them. Uh, maybe a ground ball pitcher is not doesn't pay the dividends that it normally would, especially like in a smaller homer friendly park like Guaranteed Rate Field. So I can see that, but I think I would like to you know that's a case where I wouldn't mind. Yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing Kimbrell fail, but that's a case where there's some value in trying to see how he does just so when it gets to the postseason, uh, you know, you're not pulling the plug on him for no reason. Or he hasn't, you know, you're not taking the ball away from a guy who's prone to fail. You're, you're taking the ball away from a guy who just didn't get enough chances to show one way or another if he can pitch himself out of jams the way that we've seen Hendricks do uh, after some some failures. Like, he's been able to redeem himself. I think Kimbrell should get the kind of rope to redeem himself or not just to better understand what uh, you know how much faith he can put in him come October. Well, there was an excellent article about this topic from James Fegan on The Athletic, and this was one of the quotes from that story from Craig Kimbrell. Quote, there are going to be things that happen that sometimes you agree with or disagree with, but if you could talk about it after the fact and get things worked out, that's always a positive, end quote. So I, my assumption is, Jim, that moving forward, if Craig Kimbrell is in this position, Larusa is just going to stick with Craig Kimbrell to get himself out of a jam. So the next time he throws 15 pitches and 10 of them are balls, LaRusse is just going to ride the wave with Craig Kimbrell and see if he can get out of his own mess, which, yeah, I, I could understand that. I agree with that. He's had a very lengthy track record of being an excellent closer in his Major League Baseball career. And he, there's a good reason why he's making a lot of money. And there's a reason why the White Sox traded Nick Madrigal and Cody Hoyer for Craig Kimbrell. But I just, I don't think Tony LaRusso should be beating himself up too much over that decision. And it seemed like he was bummed about that decision to the point that he didn't really get a chance to enjoy Friday night's win because of the decision that he made the eighth inning. And I guess my final thought on that in-game decision, Jim, is I think LaRusse is beating himself up too much. Yeah, I, I think maybe the way the inning unfolded after Bummer <laughs> just added to it. Uh, the intentional walk, I think, that I would have liked to hear more about that. I just, I, I do wonder if it's an automatic call 
within the Chicago White Sox organization. Just nightmares of Nelson Cruz that it does not matter who is pitching. You automatically walk Nelson Cruz in that situation. And then Hendricks went at him. When did Hendricks go at him? That was the 11th, right? The 10th inning. that game log right now. Hendricks pitched the 10th because Tapera got the save in the 11th. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Let me see. This is always fun when I'm doing looking things on the air. <laughs> no, you're right. Yeah. Hendricks went after Cruz in the 10th yeah. with the runner on second. So yes. game winning situation. And the White Sox allowed Hendricks to go after him. Hmm. That's interesting. Yep. Which hmm. I don't mind. Like I like, you know, well, they when, should. When... I, you shouldn't be afraid of Nelson Cruz all the time. Well, it's like, you know, when I talked about Michael Kopech going at uh, Matt Olson with Mitch Moreland on deck, and I don't mind using, you know, uh, a Matt Olson as a measuring stick against a reliever. You want to see uh, attack those hitters when he has no option. And so I don't mind seeing a failure. That's where a case where I think uh, you learn something from having a guy not measure up you know, versus like, say, like having Matt Foster go after a Matt Olson, maybe not a great idea, but Michael Kopech, sure. Um, that's a case where, you know, with Liam Hendricks, sure. Go after Nelson Cruz. Like that's, uh, he wants to, you know, he should be able to get him out. Uh, even though Cruz is good, like he has codify, <laughs> he's seen heat maps. Apparently that's all uh, Lucas Giolito needed to do to figure him out. Uh, Hendricks can do the same, but yeah, that's kind of just what I'm thinking is when you have, Pitchers who are that good, like, you know, getting paid top money to get outs, like, and it's not do or die. And, you, and uh, especially in a case where you're pushing the go-ahead run into scoring position, that's what I don't get. And maybe just the whole way the whole inning unfolded after he re, uh, removed Kimball just made him more bummed out about the initial move. But we agree, I think, moving forward in this same situation, Kimbrell is going to stay in the game. Yeah, let him fail. And, and then if it becomes a habit or becomes something you fear, then I think you have to adjust. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's going to be the outcome moving forward out of this in game decision, but it's been a while since we've had one of these. And obviously there'll be bigger games for the white Sox upcoming this season. So we'll do more of these in game decision reviews. Uh, again, the last time I think we did this was in Cincinnati with Liam Hendricks running. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's always fun. Uh, to look back as far as an in-game decision that was critical and uh, break it all down. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. But next up for the Chicago White Sox, they head to Toronto for the first time since 2019. We will preview that series and also recap the week that was in the minor leagues after a quick word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to the Sox Machine Podcast. The Chicago White Sox now head to Toronto. For the first time since 2019 as the Blue Jays for the 2020 season and for a lot of the 2021 season have played away from home. But as the country of Canada has relaxed COVID restrictions, they have allowed the Blue Jays to return to Toronto and the Blue Jays, their win loss record is 64 and 58. They are fading in the postseason race at this moment. They're 11 and a half games back at Tampa Bay in the American League East as the Blue Jays are in fourth place despite being six games above 500. And they are four and a half games back of the wild card. What's interesting about the Blue Jays is their run differential. If you love arguing with people about run differential and you may think that run differential is not that important, the Toronto Blue Jays are your case study. Because the Toronto Blue Jays have a plus 116 run differential. Their expected win-loss record is 72-50. and 50. They are underperforming their expected win-loss record by eight games. That is a huge margin for the Toronto Blue Jays. And in their last 10 games, they are 3-7. and seven. This is a Blue Jays team, while offensively very dangerous, and you can look at their starting pitching and sweat a little bit, they are not playing great baseball, and they really need this series against the White Sox. And your pitching problems for this series, Monday nights, Tuesday, and Wednesday night, these are all 6.07 p.m. Central Time starts. It's Lance Lynn on Monday against Alec Manoa. On Tuesday, it's Dylan Cease against familiar enemy Jose Barrios. On Wednesday, it is Lucas Giolito against Robbie Ray, who might be introducing himself into the American League Cy Young conversation all of a sudden. And Thursday afternoon, getaway day, this is a 2.07 p.m. Central Time start. It's either going to be Dallas Keuchel or Carlos Rodon against Hinjin Ryu. And Jim, let's start with this Blue Jays preview from a White Sox perspective first and to talk about Carlos Rodon. Are you expecting him to return on Thursday? And is that the right place for him to return? It sounds like it based on the hints dropped. And sure, like, yeah, I think it's a a case where, you know, you have to trust the White Sox a little bit and and trust Rodon's self-reporting because, you know, we don't really know from the outside. So, yeah, if he's healthy, like rehab stint, I don't think is going to do him any good. Like, I don't think he's that rusty to where he needs to get back up to speed. I think it's more about, you know, being able to skip a turn through the rotation plus and, and, and get back on track there. So yeah, may as well. I'm going to blow your mind for a quick moment. I think 
This is how the White Sox postseason rotation could set up. Lynn game one, Cease game two, Giolito game three, Rodon game four. Really? Yep. Why Cease game two? Because it's not a deciding game. Hmm. It's weird. I don't necessarily agree with it. But my gut feeling says this is your postseason rotation. Because Cease, while you would slot him as your fourth starter, you probably don't want him pitching in a deciding game. If there's an opportunity to clinch the series in game three, game four, game five, you want Gilito, Rodon, or Lynn on the mound. Well, would you want him pitching with the Sox down 0-1? You bring up a good point. If the White Sox are down 0-1, I would say no Gilito with the days off between the last regular season game and game two of the American League Divisional Series. Then I would bump Gilito to game two, maybe bump everybody up a game. So Rodon game three and Cease game four or Cease game three and Rodon game four? Rodon game three. So if you're down 0-1 and Gilito gets your road win and you're 1-1 or even down 0-2, you want Rodon in game three to get that win. Yeah. And then I think I would start Cease game four if you're up 2-1 with a very short leash. (laughs) And then Lynn for sure game five if it gets into a game five situation. Necessarily trying to blow your mind. But if White Sox won the first game in the American League Divisional Series, I think this is your your, your pitching lineup here. Lynn, Cease, Giolito, Rodon. And if it's not... Then I would say just have Keuchel start on Thursday. Carlos, meet us in Chicago. You can start the Friday night game against the Cubs. And then Lynn is Saturday. And then Cease would be Sunday against the Cubs. And he can get more revenge against his former team. But at some point, you got to start lining up your rotation, right? As far as uh, Mm -hmm. getting ready for the postseason. Yeah, they just have a cluster of off days coming up. Like three over an eight-day stretch. Yeah, because they have they have Monday off and they have Thursday off next week. And then the following Monday off. Okay, so maybe do you think we'll get a better idea after the Kansas City series with that day off on Monday to get reorganized? I think so. I think that's where you might see like the, well, I guess <laughs> getting a head start on P.O. Sox, but yeah, it's a case where I think they'll take stock of, you know, who's healthy, who needs a breather, and then... Uh, more or less have them lined up and maybe plug, you know, uh, Ronaldo Lopez or who else, you know, whoever in if they need to give somebody an extra day of rest. Got it. I Again, I'm not against a Lynn sees Gilito Rodon. Because Rodon needs all the days off as possible. And if you sweep in that scenario, awesome. Rodon starting game one of the American League Championship Series. Uh, but yeah, I... I'm just planting that seed. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. Uh, but so that's for the White Sox perspective. We could see the return of Carlos Rodon. Do you think we'll see Yasmani Grandal in this series? I'm guessing with, you know, if Larusa is sensitive to turf and if Grandal has a knee issue, then maybe they'll wait. All right. And then return for the weekend series against the Cubs. Yes. Especially, I'm not sure if, you know, Toronto, like having somebody travel to Toronto, 
uh, from a different place, not with the team. I don't know if that makes it harder. So it just might be a complication they do without. Yeah, good point. Good point. All right, let's flip it over to the Toronto Blue Jays. As I mentioned, they need this series, Jim. They are fading the postseason race. We talked about the White Sox picking their spots to rest starters. From a win-loss perspective, could this be a bad combination for the White Sox in these next four games where they're going to be giving key players days off and the Blue Jays are pretty much in desperation mode? Maybe, but you know the White Sox took two of three against the Blue Jays earlier this season, and the Blue Jays bullpen kind of looks like a mess, or they look like they're scrambling. So, unlike say you know Tampa Bay, where you're just facing basically one interchangeable good arm after another, especially like say if you have uh, you know like, like those those righties they clone with uh, fastballs and cutters and sliders, uh, just all sweeping out of the zone. Like Toronto doesn't have that going for them. So that's a case where if the White Sox can make a Brios or a Ray or Ryu work for five innings, they might be in a good position to strike later. So that's why I think uh, it's not quite as imposing, but yeah, I am hoping that, you know, Anderson's able to get back in the lineup that they're able to, uh, you know, they might rest guys in and out, but just, yeah, well, I guess we'll see, you know, whether Anderson is really, you know, the, the catalyst for everything and, and how much he covers for if he's back in the lineup in Mankato or Jimenez, wherever gets a day off. But it would seem like the White Sox should have enough, especially with the way they, they closed out that Tampa series to where, you know, maybe rest is put on the back burner temporarily until a better game is in the books. Yeah, I feel like this White Sox team is missing Adam Engel, especially in these Wednesday and Thursday starts with Robbie Ray and Hinjin Ryu. Brian Goodwin's doing the best that he can against left-handed pitching, but obviously that's not his strong suit. And Neither is center. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess we could see if they get Luis, if they give Luis Robert a day off, we could see the outfield configuration again of... Aloy Jimenez and Brian Goodwin and Andrew Vaughn in right field or Jake Lamb in right field. And uh, boy, limit the fly balls, guys, uh, to the outfield in that outfield configuration. But yeah, this the, the White Sox are missing Adam Engel. I haven't heard an update about Engel in a while. He's he, he's going to be out for a while again. It didn't seem like it. It seemed like they were, you know, LaRusso saying he wouldn't need much more than the minimum. Okay. But he said, uh, he's uh, James Feagan uh, tweeted that he's not currently on the road trip. Okay. So I'm got yeah, and he said, uh, yeah. So there's a, a tweet from Feagan saying Adam Engel is not currently on the road trip. So LaRusse is not expecting him to be ready after the 10 day minimum stay. Also is not expecting Yasmani Grandal to return during the road trip. So it seems like the Cubs series at the earliest. Okay. Well, that works, especially for Grandal. It, it does make sense to not have him play on the artificial surface and have to deal with customs getting into Canada, et cetera, et cetera. So that does make sense. It's Goodwin's doing the best that he can against left-handed pitching and Wednesday and Thursday is going to be interesting, especially Robbie Ray. Ray's been pitching maybe out of his mind. I wasn't expecting this. I knew that he could get a lot of strikeouts, but he was someone that walked a ton of batters and he seems to fix his walk rate. Uh, and of course, we know how good Brios is, but the White Sox have been hitting a lot better against Brios as of late. Alec Minot is a rookie. He's very promising. 
and uh, the White Sox did beat Ryu last time. So I do have to say that if the White Sox find a way to split this series, so they go two and two against the Blue Jays through these 14 games, they would go seven and seven, Jim. And I think that's, that's still good. Yeah. That's, I mean, you know, considering they're all four either contending or contender quality teams, it's, it's, you know, and, and the White Sox are playing slightly shorthanded and, you know, no days off. Like, yeah, it's good enough. Yeah. If they lose all four and go five and nine. <laughs> yeah. And then they have a six game losing streak heading home uh, when the Chicago Cubs uh, visit the South side. Uh, then they'll need the Cubs series and the Pirates series to pick up their spirits again. But I, I'm expecting that the White Sox are able to split this series and then split these 14, this 14 game stretch that we were a bit worried about because the competition was going to be heightened with the Yankees, the A's, the Rays, and the Blue Jays. And to come out of that 14 game stretch, seven and seven would still be a good mark for the White Sox. And they're still going to be. There still will be a comfortable lead over Cleveland in the American League Central, despite Cleveland sweeping the Los Angeles Angels this past weekend. And uh, I do have to say it will be fun to see Vlad Guerrero Jr. against the White Sox starters as Vlad Jr. is one of the three hitters qualified for the batting title with an OPS above 1,000. So quick trivia question, Jim. Can you name the other two hitters who are qualified for the batting title with an OPS above a thousand this season. Hmm. So that means Otani doesn't count. No, he does. Otani oh, does? does qualify for the batting title right now. Okay. So that's so that's one. one. Okay. Uh, the other one. Uh, wait. Uh, Major League. Major League. Like, okay. So not just American League. Okay. Uh, who would be the other one? Hmm. No, Acuna came to mind, but he's he's injured. He was on that track. I don't have a confident guess. It's Fernando Tatis Jr. Oh, he's qualified. He does qualify. Okay. Just barely. <laughs> I was thinking he was short because of his latest. Yeah, I thought he was going to be able to qualify shortly, but I thought he this latest missed time cost him a little bit. But Yeah. Well, according to MLB.com stats, yeah, Tatis just qualifies for okay. the batting title. So there you go. Three hitters, Vlad Jr., Tatis Jr., and Otani qualify for the batting title with an OPS above 1,000 and currently in fourth place. Uh, a bit surprising, but maybe shouldn't be shocked as Bryce Harper, who is at 972 OPS for the season. Really good hitters, and the White Sox are going to see one of them this series against Vlad Jr. and see how the White Sox fare against this Toronto lineup, especially for the White Sox pitchers. And hopefully the White Sox offense does a better job of supporting their starting pitchers this week uh, rather than what we saw this past weekend against Tampa Bay. But you guys had a lot of questions for us, so let's answer them next in P.O. Sox. You've stuffed our mailbox all week with questions from your tweets and Facebook posts. Now to cure your curiosity on the White Sox, here is P.O. Sox. Thanks, Rob. And yes, this is our favorite part of the show where you, our fans and listeners, get to ask the questions. It's P.O. Sox, where you submitted your questions to us via Twitter, which you can follow us on Twitter at Sox Machine. But for this week's P.O. Sox, our mailbag got loaded again from our Patreon supporters. Thank you guys so much for your continued support 
of Socks Machine at patreon.com slash socksmachine. And Jim, the first question that we got in our mailbag comes from Kyle Nelson, no relation. And Kyle is asking, so while I'm done with Dallas Keuchel as an option for the postseason roster, what do you think of starting up a six-man rotation when Carlos Rodon comes back? I don't think it should be a priority right now just because, as I mentioned, there's that stretch of three off days over eight days to where if you have six guys and you have that much time off to where it could be counterproductive. Um, But it seems like it makes some sense to have Lopez stretched out enough to where there's a stretch afterwards, like that that game or that series where they have five games against uh, Cleveland in four days. And I think it's ultimately like 14 games over a 13-day stretch, no off days. That's where it might make sense to have Lopez stretched out enough, whether it's for the doubleheader game, whether it's you know for a series before, just to have everybody um, you know on track, like we talked about having the rotation lined up more or less uh, with the postseason in mind, but also just not taxing anybody unnecessarily, not having anybody go into uh, the the end of the month on fumes. So that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, I think Keuchel with the way he's throwing and it seems like, you know, should Rodon come in it'll be a, a way to give him an extra day of rest. And uh, I imagine the extra days that take place between now and say like that Cleveland series will probably more be along the lines of that. Just more either uh, reorganizing the rotation based on off days or um, something along those lines, just because given that nobody seems to be on pace for an excessive amount of innings and you just have more or less, uh, uh, you, you just have more tune-ups in mind for the final month. Uh, I think that's a case where yeah, having six guys, you know, every time out for four weeks uh, might be a point where there's too much rest. We are coming off a weird 2020 season though. And this is something that we talked about before the season started, Jim on how will starting pitchers fare trying to ramp up back to a 162-game schedule. So while it may be too much rest, do you have any concern regarding with the White Sox or any team in baseball that pitchers are just going to fade no matter what because they're getting readjusted to this type of workload? Could be, but I guess that might be a problem for a lot of teams, you know, not specific to the White Sox to where uh, it doesn't feel like a uniquely White Sox problem to where they should take special consideration. Um, right now, Giolito's leading the staff with 148 innings. Um, you know, like a guy like Cease, who hasn't done it, um, you know, like this kind of grind against uh, this kind of competition, Maybe that's a case where I might back off him a little bit, but Lynn's kind of behind the curve based on his usual workload because of injuries and ejections and other weird things and also some programmed rest. They've programmed some rest for for Rodon seemingly. So, you know, I think maybe you can uh, give Giolito or Keiko a breather, but ultimately some guys have been, whether it's because of programming, whether it's because of other extraneous circumstances in the case of Lynn to where uh, they've, they've gotten that rest along the way and maybe wait till the middle of September and see if there are any signs, you know, flagging velocity, uh, inconsistent release points, too much exertion, what have you to where uh, you might have to uh, put in more rest. But for the time being, I don't see anybody needing one yet, especially with the off days coming up that provide a natural extension for some guys already. Well, Kyle, thank you so much for your question. 
Our next question comes from Mark Jontry, and Mark is asking, where do you bat Yohan Makata in the lineup upon Yasmani Grandal's return and otherwise healthy roster? I think with the way Makata is hitting and the way he's been valuable in some degrees, like taking pitches and, and drawing walks and getting on base, and then not valuable in other ways, you know, when, when you really want him to hit, like, say, 20-plus homers, uh, I'm inclined to just use the use what he's doing well as a way to like bat him first or second. Like I'm thinking when Tim Anderson is batting lead off and Hernandez is batting second and Hernandez wasn't giving uh, Anderson a chance to run. And he had a couple stolen base attempts and, and good jumps that went for not because of foul balls. Like you could have Moncada theoretically batting second and taking those pitches uh, maybe to the consternation of some people, but maybe that's a way for him to, uh, or, or for the White Sox to take something that's a flaw right now or something holding him back a little bit and turn it into a strength or an asset. So that's one one thing I might have uh, in mind if Grandal is healthy enough to bat fifth or sixth. Uh, you know, I could also see him batting leadoff, you know, in a case where Anderson's not around and you have a, a middle of the order you like with Grandal there. Um, and then, like, say if he's not that impressive, you know, you can drop him down to sixth. Uh, I think if you are fluid enough with the situation, then there's really not any way to disrupt him or say that either, you know, you're, uh, he was working in this spot. Why'd you uh, move him? Well, he's not really working any spot right now. See, so this is kind of an opportunity to move him around, feel good about it. You know, bat him a couple of days in a row at a place he might not be accustomed to. Maybe it's a different look that, uh, that ultimately benefits the offense on a given day or a given series. But, uh, I don't mind seeing experimentation with the lineup. I'd rather see too much fluidity rather than too much rigidity. And so, um, given that Mankata gets on base and can run well enough, uh, it seems like an opportunity to uh, you know try him up top and see if he gets on base for people to knock in. With my quick writing down of the lineup that I was thinking of, literally on a napkin, on a Culver's napkin, <laughs> on brand, sitting at my desk, uh, <laughs> of course, uh, I wrote down Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Jose Abreu, Aloy Jimenez, Yasmani Grandal, and Yohan Mikata. So I'd have Mikata bat six with Vaughn behind him at seventh, Hernandez batting eighth, and then whoever is in right field between Brian Goodwin and Adam Engel. That's that's my ideal lineup, writing the back yeah, of the napkin. That works. But you know, I, I wouldn't mind seeing, you know, if they're still, you know, being conservative with Robert's playing time, still being conservative with Anderson's deployment. Like I could see some opportunities opening up for Mankata to move in and see what he looks like. Sure. I, I think my thinking was writing on the napkin. If this is game one of the postseason, this is the lineup I would probably write down if I was Tony mm-hmm. La Yeah, I kind of like Mankata up there, just given the way his skills are playing out right now. Um, I wonder if it's better to have him batting second and getting on base versus being somebody who tries to sustain an attack. Like not guys in like his, uh, you know, especially with uh, he hasn't been great this year with uh, runners in scoring position and two outs. Like when he, you know, when I guess like innings come down to him, he's not great at extending it. So that's kind of what I'm thinking is maybe up top there's just more opportunities for him to start something Got rather it. than finish something. Then in that situation, I would swap Mankata and Robert. Yeah, I think there's a, uh, but I mean I think there's a lot of ways to mix and match. Like, I don't think there are wrong answers necessarily. So hopefully there's some, uh, experimentation. Cause that's always fun to me. I, I don't mind the unusual lineup card. Uh, I don't really overreact to them. 
No, you do not. But I think, Mark, yeah, I think I would bat Mikata sixth because I like the idea of Grandal and Mikata really wearing down a pitcher if they struggled to get through Anderson, Robert, Abreu, and Jimenez. Because you know Grandal and Mikata are going to make a pitcher work. Mm-hmm. And uh, getting to Vaughn and then Hernandez and then Goodway Engel. I know Hernandez has not been hitting very well, but if Cesar Hernandez is your number eight hitter, and if you're a lefty and Adam Engel's your number nine hitter, you're in good shape. As far as the lineup, yeah, we've seen a lot worse lineups in our eight Certainly seasons have. podcasting. <laughs> Nikki Delmonico, cleanup hitter. Mm-hmm. Oh man. Well, Mark, thank you so much for your question. Our next question comes from Brian Rands, and Brian wrote to us, Jim, who do you predict the White Sox will add to the forty-man roster and protect from the Rule Five draft this upcoming offseason? It's uh, you know, a little. Looks like a little thin to me when it comes to the number of names they might have to protect, especially with um, how many guys they've traded. Uh, When looking at that draft class where, uh, you know, Nick Madrigal has been traded and uh, Steel Walker has been traded and Connor Pilkington has been traded. Like those are the guys who right now would normally be on track to have to be protected. And right now uh, they are, that's that's really not a concern. So uh, that's a case where uh, they've helped themselves out a little bit or lighten their load. So right now the names are kind of minor in, um, in nature. Like right now I'm looking at, you have Romy Gonzalez who has played himself into protection with a a 2020 season at Birmingham. And then he makes his debut with uh, Charlotte and homers twice. So I think he's done enough right now, uh, given his versatility, uh, able to play three infield, no, actually four infield positions. I think he's played actually all the positions aside from pitcher and catcher. Um, so I think he'd be appealing to teams in a Rule 5 basis, and uh, uh, the White Sox had to protect him. Cade McClure, I think, has uh, pitched himself into protection. And then uh, Lennon Sosa, it's time to protect him, and I think he could be uh, a guy the White Sox put on the roster. After that, um, really, you're looking at like relievers like Bennett Souza and Luke Schilling. And Luke Schilling's currently, you know, he's had Tommy John surgery. He should be out for a while. But sometimes teams like to claim those guys in the Rule 5 uh, picks because they can spend half the season hiding them in, uh, on the injured list. And then they can call them up, but then just try to time it to where September is part of it. And then you can shelve them or put them at the back of the bullpen in September, and then you're good. So... I don't think the White Sox would have to protect him, but there have been cases where injuries have prompted teams to uh, have to think about it. So that's, I think, uh, the the names I have in mind. But I think uh, this is, will be a, this will be a topic after the minor league season and seeing who's healthy, who's back all the way, um, who might be unrostered, how many spots they have, uh, and then I'll have a post about it. You mentioned a lot of names, Mike or Adolfo. What are the White Sox going to do with him? Seems like he would be a change of scenery guy, like maybe a, a roster crunch for a roster crunch type type trade. Hmm. When would they have to make that trade? Uh, the end of spring training. Okay. Because he just you know, he would come into spring training out of options, but he could participate in spring training any time. But then if the spring comes and goes, and there's not a, or they don't see a way that he could be on the. Uh, 26 man roster. Like there's no, like he wouldn't even be like the second in line in Charlotte uh, to take a roster spot. Then yeah, that's a case where another team would probably, you know, they'd have to try to get him through waivers and he wouldn't, I'm guessing if he's somebody who 
have to be considered uh, for a roster spot by the White Sox, then I think another team would have room for him. Got it. But they do have to make a decision on Adolfo by the end of next spring training. Yes. Okay. They got some time. They got some time. Because I know that's a popular topic right now because he's yeah. hitting in Charlotte. Yeah. No, it'd be like under normal circumstances and especially like under the old uh, unlimited roster situation where it'd be nice to see what he looks like against major league pitching, even if it's only like 10 plate appearances. Right. But with only 28, right, you're adding two extra guys. Yep. And I, I still have a feeling the White Sox are going to carry three catchers. Even if Grandal gets called up this uh, upcoming weekend against the Cubs, I think the White Sox are sending like Ryan Burr back to Charlotte. Hmm. So they don't burn one of the options for Sebi Zavala and Zach Collins because both of them only have one option left. Now, I don't think it really matters a whole lot in the grand scheme of well, things. Well, Zavala has already used the option this year. Oh, has he? Yeah, because he started. The, he's been in Charlotte. So. so do you send Zavala down for 10 days just to call him back up? And then yeah, ride you with, could do that. Oh, I hate that. <laughs> I just, I like Zavala more than Collins at this moment. I can't yeah. believe. But you can send him down, up and down on unlimited times this year. So. Got it. I forgot Zavala was already up with the White Sox this year. Well, he's already down. Oh. They sent him down. He started the year. In the minors, so that's that's when the option is the option happened to be oh, in the spring training. Oh, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it, got it. Okay, now I'm on the same page. But this is an interesting question, Brian, and I think another thing that uh, will kind of confuse people is: is there a lockout, and how does the lockout impact the Rule Five Draft? Because the Rule Five Draft takes place during the winter meetings, mm-hmm. which is supposed to be in Nashville uh, in early December. But the collective bargain agreement expires on December 1st. Yeah. So question one, is there a winter meetings? And if the answer is no, because of a lockout, then I don't think there's a rule five draft. Yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I think I imagine there's a transaction freeze. Right. So you delay it or postpone it indefinitely. That would be interesting if they postponed it indefinitely. If there was no rule five. Yeah, I think they would have to have it at some point in the winter, though, just because of. That I, I imagine that's a right protected in the CBA at some point where guys who have been uh, under, you know, in an organization for five, four or five years based on their age uh, when they were drafted. Like, I think they have freedom of movement or at least, uh, you know, a, a bargained right for uh, being able to you know, have an opportunity to switch teams if they're buried on a roster. So unless that part is re-bargained, I imagine they have to be. Once transactions open up again, I imagine there'd have to be a rule five period, but that's just my, I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not positive, but that would be my guess. Well, Brian, thank you so much for your question. And thank you to everyone that submitted questions this week for PO Sox. Again, if you have a question or topic that you would like us to tackle in a future episode of the Sox Machine podcast, you could do so via Twitter by following us on Twitter at Sox Machine. You could also follow me on Twitter at SoxMachine underscore Josh. But the best way is by becoming a Patreon supporter at patreon.com slash SoxMachine, where we have several different tiers of support, uh, starting as low as $2 a month, where you get ad-free versions of the podcast and website, exclusive content, and first opportunity to purchase our new Sox Machine swag. And Jim, it looks like you shipped out a bunch of ball caps. So everyone that participated in the pre-order of the Sox Machine ball caps should be getting those very soon if they haven't already gotten them. 
Yes, uh, you should have received an email with the confirmation and tracking number. So if you put in a pre-order and you didn't receive an email, uh, please let me know because I'm looking at the order sheets on in our, our back end of the system and looks like everything is confirmed. So looks like it's out on my side, but if you didn't get something, let me know. Otherwise, uh, check your mail uh, over the next coming days because uh, yeah, the last batch went in Saturday morning. So Excellent. by the middle of the week, they should be showing up. Awesome. And definitely post your pictures, guys, on social media and tag us when you do receive the ball caps. I love the ball cap and I get compliments every time I wear it, especially at Guarantee Rate Field. Uh, other blogs and podcasts, not naming names, beef loaf, uh, <laughs> super jealous of our ball caps. Uh, so, yeah, it's a sharp, sharp cap. You did an awesome job with the gym. So, definitely. And, uh, and I'll pass on the credit to Billy. Yeah. Well, Billy. Okay. Yeah. Logo is getting a lot of life. Yes. Love that logo. Thank you so much, Billy. As always, we are. Yeah. You gave us the look, man. But yeah, again, if you do receive your ball cap, post a picture of yourself on Twitter or Facebook, tag us. We'll definitely like it retweeted. Be great to see that on social media. And again, if you are not a Patreon supporter, that's how you get the first opportunity to get our new socks machine swag. And uh, there might be some new items coming along. Perhaps. Just a, a teaser, a little tease. But yeah, again, go to patreon.com slash socks machine to get more from us. And that will do it for this socks machine podcast. Thank you guys so much for listening. If you just discovered the socks machine podcast, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever you listen to podcasts like Spotify and Apple podcasts and Google podcasts, Stitcher, et cetera, et cetera, on all of the podcast platforms. And the Socks Machine Podcast is a production of SocksMachine.com, part of the Blue Wire Podcast Network, and your home for all things Chicago White Sox baseball. Alongside Jim Margulis, I'm Josh Nelson. Thanks for listening.